How does a case of free beer sound? Our pals at Beer52 are offering listeners to Factitious a free case of eight craft beers. Simply go to www.beer52.com forward slash fact 22 and cover the meagre postage costs of £5.95 to claim your free case now. Did you know that Beer52 is the biggest beer club in the world? Each month they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, including Belgium, Czech Republic and America. So far, members have experienced beers from 40 different countries spanning five continents. From big juicy pale ales to delicious sumptuous stouts, you can try the best beers from across the world with the UK's number one beer club. And if dark beer is not your thing, you can choose the light only case. If you haven't had your fill of facts from this week's podcast, you will also receive the award-winning magazine Ferment and a couple of tasty snacks. Even if, after all that, you're still not satisfied, you can simply pause or cancel your membership at any time. So that's beer52.com forward slash fact22 to claim your free case of eight craft beers now. That's beer52.com forward slash fact and the numbers 22. Hello and welcome to Factitious, a podcast which makes you question what you know and almost certainly go away knowing something you didn't know before. I'm Rob Graham and I'm joined, as always, by Tom Harrison. For the last time this series. Hello, everyone. And I also got through the introduction first time (laughs) this week, which was great. As always on Factitious, each week one of us will take on the role of the expert, trawling through little known facts about a range of topics, teaching the other using our three golden facts, designed to shock, surprise and wow our student, which, as we have mentioned, is Tom this week. Mm. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. A little bit sad that we're at the end of the series, but at the same time, I kind of always, I enjoy the break, Mm. Um, but yeah, it's... Yeah, I'm pleased that I feel good about Series B. I've enjoyed it a lot, um, so let's uh, bring it home. And there's some good Series C chat mm. ready to ready to come. And I think last time we took the break, we had quite a busy time in the break. So, like, you went on holiday. You were on your honeymoon for mm. a couple of weeks of that. I was away for a few weeks, so it was quite busy. This break, we're not going to determine exactly how long it's going to be at this point, but... We've got Christmas and things coming up. Got and the World the Cup. New Year. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> got Christmas, so we're we'll it'll be similar, won't it? Be sort of six weeks, two months sort of time. Yeah, like yeah, we'll be back in the new year certainly. Yeah. When about? We'll uh, keep you posted. Yeah, absolutely. And as we trailed at the end of last week's episode, this week we are discussing beer. Mm. So. In the broadest sense, beer is any alcoholic beverage that's made by the fermentation of grain, just as like any wine, or wine is any alcoholic beverage made by the fermentation of fruit. Okay. So beer is a really vast, broad umbrella for different drinks, but the vast majority of beers, the grain base is barley. Yeah, and I remember you always claiming that you had a barley allergy, which is why, <laughs> yeah. which is why you didn't drink beer. Yeah, that's my go-to. So the brewing process begins with like with the barley or the or the malt, um, which gets germinated, then roasted, then 
Brewer sort of mills it, cracks the grains, flattens them out, just like um, coffee ground coffee grounds are done in a similar way. So malt is then heated with water in a big kettle, and then they've sort of been broken down into a like a sweet liquid. Is basically then what's left. They then rinse that, strain it to get the last of the sugars into the solution. The used malt then it becomes like a spent grain, which isn't used for beer, but people then use that for baking or for animal feed or whatever. Right. They then pipe the rest of it into a big tank in a brewery, like a kettle, and then they add hops, which are like little flowers, like cone-like flower things, right. and then okay. boiled together with... The, with the liquid that's already there so then they add yeast in um, and then that in a combination with everything else then is what releases the alcohol okay. into the process right so after a while the food bit that's left within it runs low and the a- alcoholic atmosphere sort of increases within it fermentation finishes and then they leave it in like a tank like they do with other alcoholic beverages they then yeah. leave it in a tank to age and that could be from a few days to a few weeks and depending on okay. some days will be years depending on oh, right. very few would be that long I would say we're getting into sort of wine and whiskey territory I mean, particularly yeah. whiskey you would um, you would yeah, yeah, you, know, you get like 12, 15, 20 years mm. for, for, for that so beer, beer is no longer yeah. Like that, it's a, it's a much much shorter process. So that is the science behind mm. the beer. And water is the main ingredient, basically. And it accounts for 95% or up to 95% okay. of the weight of the beer is done. And I find beer quite quenching, like quite thirst quenching. Like I'd have a beer on a hot day to, call, to quench my thirst okay. more than I would have like a cup of tea. Mm. Even though more than 95% of the more than 95% of a cup of tea is water yeah it's it's interesting how it works but I'm not it's another thing where I don't think I'm my my mum and my dad always talk about oh a cup of tea on a hot day cools you down I'm like yeah does it help no it doesn't (laughs) I'd rather have a beer but beer is the third most popular drink wow okay in the world behind water and tea what water's number one Mm. So boring. Yeah. No, I drink water, but yeah, I don't. I don't go. Oh, yeah, I'll have a water. As a, you have water when you need it. Yeah, I think it depends on your lifestyle. Like, I do quite a lot of running and quite a lot of physical stuff, so I make sure that I drink a mm. lot of water. If I know I've got running activities coming up, I make sure I'm constant. I, I make sure I'm constantly hydrated. Yeah. I suppose it's, it's the most accessible, isn't it? Water and, and it's, it's cheap. very cheap. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you don't ever really feel like if you put water in, like in this country, if you're pouring water from your tap, you don't really mm. feel like you're paying for that, do you? No. Whereas if you're buying a bottle of water or a bottle of coke or a bottle of beer, yeah, you've got to go out of your way to do that. I've got a few questions to ask you very quickly before we dive into golden fact number one. Would you like to take a guess at the country that are the world's... There's two separate facts here. The world's biggest beer drinkers in terms of per capita. Ah, okay. Um, I, I would have to assume stereotypically that it would be... It'd be between us and Germany, probably. I'm going to go Germany. No, it's actually the Czech Republic. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they've been the top per capita beer consumption nation since 
Wow. So okay. based on a report that's done every year, the average check. So the average check. I don't know whether this is the average check by only only you remove all the the underage people, or whether yeah. it's literally the average person. <laughs> In which case, this is crazy. Drinks about. 188 litres of beer per year. My word. Which is about uh, 531, like, 12-ounce bottles. Yeah. Which so is like a pint a day. Which is nearly double the amount of the next highest country, which is <laughs> which is Austria, which is 107, so not quite double, but not far off it. Blimey. 188 litres. That's crazy. Per day. On a similar vein, the largest beer-consuming country in the world. Just go obvious with this. Uh, the US. N- n- okay, more obvious in terms of just think about the size of a country. Oh, like China. Yeah. So obviously there are more people in China. There's a, there's yeah. probably there's probably a thousand times more people in China yeah. than there are in the Czech Republic, if not more. Mm. So I don't know why I don't think of China as a beer-drinking sort of. Country. Well, their annual consumption of beer averages at 40 billion litres of beer, <laughs> which is twice the amount of the US. Wow, okay. And and yet, though, as you say, the population size, say probably per capita, the US is over China. Yes, because their population is but it's third just of what the, China's is. Yeah. yeah. And China is also the top beer producing country oh, in the world right. as well interesting just ahead of the usa brazil okay mexico and germany mm-hmm. so in so interesting like those countries you'd kind of expect like china just produces everything yeah, yeah. so that doesn't surprise me at all and the the other unsurprising fact is that lager is the most popular beer like in terms of lager or ale um yeah lager is a lot more popular i think there's just possibly because if you think of every if you think of large mainstream beer brands you automatically think of lager brands don't oh, you oh yeah, yeah you would think of like places that like john smith maybe or like i don't even know if uh like newkey like newcastle brown ale was still a, a thing mm. but like you think some of those but then if you said to me name la- name beer brands you'd go budweiser Heineken, Coors maybe, mm. Kroner, yeah. Beer and Moretti, like the, like Stella. I know it's not socially acceptable to drink Stella. But <laughs> <laughs> they're all lager. They're all lager brands. But the largest selling beer in the world is a Chinese beer. But again, that's just because there's a lot of people. There's that a live huge in China. market. I don't think I've ever seen. I mean, I'm not really the demographic to discuss it. Really, but I don't think I've ever seen a Chinese beer. But then, if you're only serving your own country, maybe there's still well, an enormous market. So for the it. largest beer, the largest selling beer in the world, is a Chinese beer called Snow. It's only sold in China. Yeah, see it. But it accounts for five point five percent of the global market share of all beer sales, wow. and it's only sold in one country. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> but if that's all they can, I don't know what, how strict the regulations are in China. But if yeah, they can exactly. only drink that one beer, yeah. then everyone's going to drink it, aren't they? With all that being said, we've gone a long way around to getting to golden fact <laughs> number one, which is 
beer has been around for a mentally long time. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to take a, a, a stab in the dark, and it is a real stab in the dark, as to how long beer has been around? Uh, two and a half thousand years. No, <laughs> a lot, a lot longer than oh, that. Wow, okay. So obviously, like I said at the beginning, beer is basically just anything that's created through the fermentation of barley. Right. So th- so beer wasn't always an alcoholic drink because you can, the alcoholic process of it comes depending on what you do with it later okay, down the process. Yeah, yeah. So the origins of beer can be traced back to the early Neolithic period, which is like 10,000 BC. Wow, okay. So evidence suggests that early brewing techniques were used to produce a type of beer that was known as Groot, G-R-U-I-T. Right. This early form of beer was made by boiling a mixture of herbs and grains in water, like we talked about earlier. Obviously with beer, it's barley, but they would use whatever grains they could get hold Mm. of. Around the same time as that, a type of beer made from fermented honey was also being produced in China. So even 10,000 years ago, the so Chinese... So different areas of the yeah. world are doing a similar process and creating their own type of beer. Yeah. So basically, it was I think it was ancient Samaria was where the early examples of the beer fermenting was being done, but... Incredible. The Chinese don't like being left behind in They're any ahead kind of, of us every, every yeah. step of the way yeah. through human history. So, like we talked about, fermented beverages have been around for thousands of years because grain's been around for that mm. amount of time, and people kind of go, "Oh, I wonder what I could do, wonder what I could do with that? Can I, can I can I do something that's actually going to be a bit useful with yeah. that?" So they think that the first alcoholic beer beverage was produced around seven thousand wow, BC, but obviously beer as we know it would have been later than that but yeah. the first examples were 10,000 years and the first alcoholic beverage was produced around 7,000 BC in China okay and archaeologists have discovered ceramics that date back to more in line with what you were saying 3,400 BC which are still stained with beer residue wow and That's beer cool. has been a staple of diets of like the ancient Aztecs and the Babylonians so we're talking thousands and thousands of years mm. ago. So the Babylonians were the first to cultivate hops and the Greeks were the first to create a wider range of beers that then had different flavours. And obviously, Trust the Greeks yeah. to do that, to refine it yeah. and yeah, make it sophisticated. And to be able to work out the science yeah. of you've just got like, whatever his name is, the guy in the bath. Who is, who's the guy in the bath? Uh, is that Archimedes? Yes. Bath, yeah. Trying to work out, ooh, a little bit too hoppy. No, not, <laughs> not, not quite enough. And then it started to branch off. So you had like light lagers were popular among Romans. Right. We're getting a, obviously a bit more close to the modern day here. And dark beers were more popular amongst the Anglo-Saxons. So we're getting more close to sort of the, the modern day, if you like. So basically... Beer wasn't originally an alcoholic drink, so it was just a way of drinking something that wasn't water. Because water, at least with the process of making the beer, you were heating it. Yeah. So you were killing off the bacteria. Not that that was why they were doing it, but they weren't intelligent enough in the Neolithic mm-hmm. period to realise that they needed to burn off the ba- like boil off the bacteria. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would have been dying from drinking 
dirty water yeah, in, that, in sure. that sort of period of time and actually then drinking the beer a it tasted of something and it wasn't just like mm. river water but also it was presumably more healthy for them because there was slightly less chance mm. of them getting dysentery from it yeah so researchers have discovered residue from a 13,000 year old beer that they believe was used as a like a, a, a feast drink to honour people who'd passed away um, so yeah basically the long and short of it is beer has been around for a crazily mm. long time. So with that being said, we'll dive straight into golden fact number two, which is, did you know that Russia, you might know this, only classified beer as alcohol in 2013? <laughs> I did not know so that. So before that, it was just classed as a like a soft drink. Basically. Wow. Um, and obviously like beer... Beer is a lot lower in alcoholic percentage than the traditional drinks, sure. which are vodka in in Russia. So the uh, Russian president Dmitry Medvedev. So this was a this was a in between Putin's two stints yeah. as president. Okay. He signed a bill that classified. Uh, so he signed it in 2011, and it came into effect in in 2013. The beer would then be classified. So before it was anything that was less than 10% alcohol, which are most beers, yeah. is classified as a food stuff. What? So a eight-year-old kid could go to a shop and yeah. buy a beer? Yeah. Because it was, yeah, it was just classed as... No different than mm. buying a lemonade. Or... And I think the reason they did it wasn't anything to do... It, I think they were worried about the amount of consumption of alcohol being done by people because it was so cheap. I think yeah. when they made it, uh, uh, sorry, beer, because it was so cheap, I think by making it a controllable thing, like spirits were, they were then able to tax it. Okay. And they were able to make a lot more money. So Russian alcohol consumption in 2011 was already twice the critical level set by the WHO. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So vodka, obviously, was the traditional tip yeah. of Russia. But beer sales between 2001 and 2011 went up by 40% and vodka sales went down by 30%. Whoa, okay. Which is really interesting because I've always thought, I think the reason behind that was that beer was being offered as like a healthier example, a healthier (laughs) alternative to spirits. Whereas I've always thought of spirits as being less calorific than beer. Yeah. I've always thought about the idea... Particularly vodka is a very clean... Vodka is basically alcoholic water. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. And you can have a vodka and Diet Coke and it's like 50 calories. Yeah. And if you meet sports people, and I remember at university, like one of my housemates was on the football team and they were all vodka drinkers because they were all like very like, I mean, they used to do a lot of other questionable (laughs) things. I was like, you're not caring that much about your health. (laughs) But they would drink vodka because it was the healthiest drink to, to drink and so it's interesting that it was being marketed as he- vodka was being marketed as less healthy than beer give little Timmy a beer yeah. this Christmas and I don't I find beer quite filling especially lager yeah like Guinness is like drinking a meal <laughs> <laughs> we went to the Guinness factory in Dublin when we went mm. a couple of years back and we got a we got a two. Have you been? Have you done the Guinness tour? No. no. Well, when I went to Dublin, uh, <laughs> my wife's 
said, do you, do you want to go? I was like, no point. Like, I, I kind of regret not going because it would have just been interesting and it's like a big cultural yes, reference yeah. point for, for Dublin and Ireland in general. But um, I think the fact that I would have been handed Guinness after Guinness, presumably. Like no, so basically you buy the ticket and then you you make, you pour your pint of Guinness at the end. So they teach you, because obviously pouring a pint of Guinness is like a real, supposedly a real skill. Okay. I've worked in a bar before, so I did know how to, I was taught how to pour one. They show you how to do it. They show you how to like, they don't show you how to do like the logo and stuff on the top, obviously, (laughs) but they teach you how to pour it. And then they go, oh, you can take your two beers away with you now. And I thought that my wife was then going to drink it. I sort of slowly drank mine (laughs) And then she was like, I don't want mine. <laughs> I'll take a little bit of it. Because we've paid quite a lot of money for yeah. these beers. Well, paid a lot of money for the tickets. Yeah. So we will have a little bit of it. But I got about halfway through the second pint. And I just thought, I can't drink any more of this. It's I'm going to go out for dinner after this. And I'm so yeah. full. <laughs> and I think I don't like drinking lager after lager. Because you then feel very gassy. Yeah. And I think... I don't know whether that's why. I don't know the logic. I've not got a beer bottle to hand that I can look at what the calorie. Mm, no, I don't know. But I would always imagine that beer would have more calories in it than vodka. But maybe the Russians brew their beers in a slightly different way. Maybe. Um, but I think because alcohol wasn't illegal, wasn't sorry, wasn't um, beer wasn't an alcohol. There was no social kind of like if somebody's drinking beer in the street in this country they're mm. moved along aren't they like the yeah. police will come it's a criminal offence to, to be drinking alcohol in the street whereas in Russia because beer wasn't an alcohol people were just swigging it in the street sitting in parks like like we would do with a can of Pepsi Yeah, they would just sit in there swigging but it's obviously there are certain places where you do find people just swigging alcohol <laughs> but there are places you don't go to in the dark yeah. <laughs> here you were talking about them drinking it like they basically would do a soft drink and it also meant that there were limits on when it could be served in certain places because there are alcohol laws in this country around what times you can serve alcohol yeah and obviously there wasn't in russia for beer because you just basically serve it whenever you want fascinating yeah quite a culture shift yeah and again it's like we talked about in the blitz episode about regulating markets and if you mm. control something you're able to tax it for a start yeah which makes the government a lot of money um and before they'd made it into an alcohol the russian beer industry had been given a 200 percent tax hike on beer products to try and bring consumption uh-huh. under control okay which i don't know how much difference that made because they then very quickly decided to decided to do it but Imagine your alcohol intake being that out of control as a country that that's mm. you're literally having to make something an alcoholic drink <laughs> in order to stop people just oh running running ragged with it. I don't know whether that law stayed in place. I'm presuming beer is still classed as alcohol in Russia, but there are loads of laws. Obviously, there's there's laws around what you can and can't do. But Germany has a beer purity law, which basically regulates what can and can't go into beer. And that's been in place since 1516. So, like, one of the Dukes of Bavaria, Wilhelm IV, basically banned the making of beer without anything except... People just put, like... We were talking about the Chinese putting honey into it. Mm. Which now you go, oh, 
like I drank my lovely rum and raisin. Yeah. <laughs> and we've all watched The Apprentice where they have to try and make a really nice yes. beer, don't they? They put all sorts in it now. So the Germany, it's called the German Beer Purity Law or Reinhardtsgebot. And like we said, it implements, it was implemented to regulate prices to avoid price competition with bakers over wheat and prevent brewers from adding things like uh, soot and like plant uh, roots and sawdust into recipes well this is the dangerous you mentioned prohibition earlier didn't you you get all the kind of horrible things that go into it when when it's not official and regulated or whatever you get back alley dodgy mm. um brewers coming in that yeah who knows what's getting thrown in there so yeah that it's a good point to kind of have the was it you say a purity yeah. law or something and, quite a good idea and obviously that's been adapted to the modern age so that you can now include other things because people like different tasting beers mm. but a lot of the breweries in Germany still the fall. purists in Germany well yeah quite and it's really interesting there are lots of countries that seem to have these obviously Germany has that purity law America went through prohibition Russia's got that weird kind of only just making beer alcoholic law and Iceland, they had like a prohibition period, but that lasted for 74 years. Wow. That's way more. I don't know. I was about to say successful than America's, but I'm not really sure. Longer lasting. <laughs> yeah, than, longer lasting. So it started in 1915 after they had a, a vote. I don't know whether it was a public vote or whether it was a political vote for this one. And it was 60% of people voted for a total ban on wine, beer and other spirits being... Right. Being completely prohibited. The the ban on wine was lifted in 1922 and then on spirits in 1935, but they kept beer banned until 1989. And is that a, like a prohibition as in like we think like people, there was a big stigma around drinking and misbehaving? No, I think, and... I think it was out of favour and it was... It was political, it was politically charged rather than health charged or anything like that. I think from 1935, the prohibition only applied to strong beer, which was 2.2... I say strong beer, it was more than 2.25%, which I guess is most beers. Yeah. Any beer that's worth drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it it was around the time that Iceland was struggling for independence from Denmark and Iceland associated beer with... The Danes, and obviously yeah, they're a very famous, country. very famous. Like Carlsberg is Danish, mm-hmm. and that's one of the biggest. Cronenberg is Danish. It sounds like it could be, but yeah. it also sounds like it could be German. I'm exposing myself. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know to fit because it's Cronenberg 1664. Could be French. Probably should have looked that up mm. before we started recording. Yeah. But yeah, they associated beer with a Danish lifestyle. And therefore, it was classed as being quite unpatriotic to, wow. to then drink beer. But the way they ended it was by having a referendum. So we vote on whether we want to remain in the EU or not. <laughs> and they voted on whether they wanted to have beer again. And they did. So in 1989, the population voted to reintroduce beer. And they now have, on March the 1st, they have something called Bjordagurin, or Beer Day, which wow, is celebrated okay. in, in Iceland. So make sure you, you clink your glass <laughs> to... Um, 
to beer day on March the first. It's it's is it St David's Day as well? The first of oh, is it first of March? I feel like it's one of the yeah, saints' days okay. in this country, but it's more importantly Icelandic beer I'm marking day. Marking in my calendar. Yeah, now. absolutely. With all of that being said, let's dive in to golden fact number three, which is: Did you know that in 1968 a a man was disqualified from the Olympics for being drunk on beer. <laughs> when I say drunk on beer, he'd had two beers. Oh, okay. So for some people, that probably wasn't. That mm. probably is enough to make them drunk. He was a a Swedish modern pentathlete, and he was disqualified from the pistol well he was disqualified from the whole pentathlon but he was disqualified from the pistol shooting <laughs> oh, no so the, the the olympic games were in mexico city and it was the first olympics to introduce random drug testing for the medalists right and they would have well it wasn't random all of the medalists uh, would yeah, then have okay. their would, now they have random drug samples mm. so it was urine samples and analyzed for stimulants and, and narcotics and stuff. So this Swedish pantathlete Hans Gunnar Ligenval tested positive for excessive alcohol, thus becoming the first Olympian to be disqualified oh, yeah, for doping. Now, I don't know about you. You're not a beer drinker, but you do drink alcohol. I don't know whether there are many Olympic sports that I would feel better for having had a couple of beers before I was going to do mm, them. Especially shooting, you would think, having a couple of drinks, like famously one of the first things is that your vision slightly blurs doesn't it and you're not quite yeah. your spatial awareness isn't quite right so and your reactions then, yeah like and the pistol shooting is that at a still target because like the, the ones where they're doing like the clay pigeon shooting that would be mentally hard if you were <laughs> yeah. half cut no, I think pistols is it was almost like archery, isn't it? Where there's just a target, yeah. and you're firing which, you, which down is still quite hard. And there are some people whose hands get more steady after a couple of drinks. Mm. Mine don't. My my hands are a lot more shaky after they've had a couple of beers. But there are some people who probably hold their hand a bit more steady, and that's why he did it. He did it to calm his nerves. Right. So possibly that was part of it. But I can't think of any Olympic sport where I feel I would benefit from having had a couple of beers. No. Wouldn't want to sprint, wouldn't want to run after no. a couple of beers. Definitely wouldn't want to be doing anything that involved me spinning round. I wouldn't want to be doing the discus <laughs> or the, the hammer. Um, Wildly veering into the crowd. <laughs> or doing, even like doing the jumps. No. You wouldn't be particularly Yeah, I don't think there's any, even like swimming, I wouldn't want to do. You've never had drunk swimming? Don't. You've never done drunk swimming? <laughs> Diving off a 10 metre board. Belly flopping. Yeah. Even worse. Being kicked. Think about doing like judo and mm. those sorts of boxing, boxing and those sorts of things. It'd be horrible after a couple of beers. <laughs> so yeah, he was he was disqualified. His excessive alcohol limit was 0.04 was what the, lo- the limit was. Oh, okay. So really, really, really yeah. low. Like that's lower than the drink drive limit is. Yeah. Um, but it also caused the entire team to be disqualified Ooh. as a result. They had to forfeit their medal. So I can't imagine he was a particularly popular chap no. in, back, back home in, in they Stockholm. Invite him back next time. But I found a more modern example. So that was only 1968. But there was a, a Canadian uh, curling team that were disqualified only a few years ago. So I think it was 2016. Tw- yeah, 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 2016 were disqualified for being in quotes extremely drunk 
during a curling tournament. So this was in Canada at the Red Deer Curling Classic. And there was a, there was a team of Ryan Fry, Jamie Coe, Chris Schill and DJ Kidby. They were disqualified after spectators and then other players complained basically about their rowdy behaviour. And Wade Thurber, who was the head of the event, said, they went out to curl and they were extremely drunk, breaking brooms and swearing and just unacceptable behaviour that nobody wants to watch or hear or listen to. These are professional yeah, athletes. breaking brooms, wow. One of the guys, Ryan Fry, who was in the team, he was like a gold medalist from the Winter Olympics <laughs> the year before. There was some damage in the locker room. This is still a quote. There was some damage in the locker room and other teams complaining about their stuff being kicked around. It's like coming back from a night out, isn't it? It's kind of going, hey. Um, At the end of the day, it was like, oh, that's enough of this gong show. The team played seven out of ten of their rounds in this unacceptable state, eventually losing the match 10-5. That's respectively competitive. So they still got five rounds, which is quite impressive. They were told that they were a player down as Jamie Coe was too drunk to play. (laughs) (laughs) He was asleep on the ice. Yeah, and it's apparently drinking is really popular in curling. Like curling is known for its drinking culture. But the did not know that. The the head of the event said our bar staff eventually cut them off. They went down to curl, but they'd already crossed the line of being too drunk. (laughs) And there was a sign up in the in the venue that says due to the unacceptable behaviour from team Jamie Coe the Red Deer Curling Classic Committee has disqualified this team from further play this weekend in the 2018 Red Deer Derling Classic uh, Curling Classic and its future Red Deer Curling Classic events we apologise for any inconvenience so basically they've been banned from from all future events <laughs> and their team leader so um what's his name Co basically took to Twitter and said due to a lapse in judgment on Saturday <laughs> we contributed to an unpleasant experience for others it's like when you wake up in the morning after a night out and you can't remember what you've done and you kind of go oh who do I need to apologise to just woke up to loads of broken broom hands yeah bars. yeah why, why have I got friction birds you were sliding us down the, uh, down the thing you thought you were the curling stone and he says, although I removed myself from the last game before it started, the action from the team led to our disqualification. Now, reading between the lines, I think he was the guy that was too drunk to play the last <laughs> game. I'll be taking steps to ensure this never happens again. So it's, it's very much a not a, an antiquated phenomenon to be too drunk. And you, you talk, you, there are lots of sportsmen who would talk about, and you've got extreme examples, like players that were alcoholics, like, George Best and Tony Adams, mm. who would go onto the pitch drunk, mm, yeah, because they had an illness that would like they they were alcoholic. Yeah, sure. But you've got plenty of players from like the fifties and sixties who were like, oh, we'll have a couple of beers and then we'll go and play. Yeah, and as long as we're playing well, yeah, whatever. Our managers don't yeah. really mind. Yeah, you know, like footballers smoking and drinking in a pub, like they'd have a pint at the pub with fans. Yeah, and then, and then go, go play to the, the game. game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> and now you think about the lifestyle that athletes live how squeaky clean and how there are a lot there are some athletes that still drink well you get so many elite sportsmen now that are and sports women that are teetotal um and like i can't imagine drinking there are some drinks that alcoholic drinks that haven't got the same fillingness and we talked about this earlier with beer i wouldn't want to do any kind of physical activity sporting physical activity Mm. after having had beer yeah, that's all gassy, bloatedness. Yeah. You feel you so blo- I feel mm. so bloated after having 
had a drink, but each to their own didn't pay off with the curling team. Yeah. And on that beautiful note, that has wrapped up Golden Fact number three beautifully. Mm. So, how do you feel after that? Despite not being a beer drinker, do you feel like you've learned something? <laughs> uh, today? Yes, definitely. It hasn't made beer more appealing, unfortunately. No, but that's fine. Like many things that we've discussed on the show that aren't particularly appealing, um, I'm still fascinated by it. And mm. there were some great stories there, particularly those last couple about the uh, the Olympic teams and things like that. And yeah, I mean, beer is just such a such a big part of world culture mm. particularly like here in the uk like it's a very popular drink we're big beer drinkers here um so i've always been surrounded by it but um just because i don't drink it doesn't mean it's not interesting particularly yeah. some of the history stuff about 10 12 13 thousand years ago was it when yeah. they found you know, proper evidence yeah. of it so it's probably you know going back longer than that that was definitely an eye-opener and i like this idea of ancient people tinkering around and like yeah we're sick of this water and it's, sometimes it kills us let's invent something new even way back then and then refining that process yeah. and here we are today and it's yeah. exported all over the world yeah it's fascinating there we have it mm. there is there is beer and there we have it that's the end of the series series B close that chapter on yeah this has been a good series we've got through this series what feels like quite quickly Mm, I feel like we, we've hit more of a rhythm now. We've kind of found our feet a little bit more. Obviously, Series A, we were still... Well, we kind of had the idea of the concept and stuff. We were still playing around with the formula a bit. I think we've kind of moved on as we've gone into particularly the back end of Series B. I think we're finding our feet a bit more. So hopefully that kind of continues into Series C on however many more of these we end up doing. Who mm, knows? Absolutely. So yeah, that's the end of the series. A big shout out to our patrons who have supported us loyally through the first couple of series that we've been doing here. Big shout out to our geniuses who are Stuart Hill, Mike Kavanagh, Rob Craig and Sarah McDaniel. They have been here, well they've been our geniuses since the the, the Peep Show days, haven't yeah. they? Um, and so they, they're getting their weekly shout out and they're also having the opportunity to um to contribute ideas and and whatnot to questions to pose to us but there are several other tiers below our genius tier that you are able to join and you get a a, a heap of benefits you get early access to episodes you get ad free episodes head over to our patreon which is in the episode description to check out anything that you might fancy from that and if you fancy following us on social media you can find us at factitious pod on instagram and twitter and by searching for factitious podcast on facebook if you want to email us it's factitious podcast at gmail.com lovely um i guess in terms of we should just talk about when we're going to be coming back for series c then we don't have really have a specific date in mind no. but it will be some point in the new year um maybe towards Bring, yeah, we'll yeah. have to take a reasonable break. Um, yeah, and what I would say, obviously, we've reached the end of the second series of this. We've had sort of good feedback from from various people about how mm. it's going. The listenership has kind of stayed quite steady over the first couple of series, and within reason, <laughs> we are open to to feedback coming to going forward. Yeah. In terms of the format, the style, the, the length of episodes, that sort of stuff. We've kind of got in our heads how we saw this podcast growing. But 
we are more than happy to to listen to people please do get in touch on the, the ways that i talked about earlier um and we can we can sort of have a think about what we're doing yeah. if if this if the way we're doing it right now isn't kind of say for you but yeah. if there are things that you think oh that would that would turn it from being a good podcast into a great podcast then yeah do get in touch via possibly email is probably the easiest way for sure of getting in touch doing that anything you'd like to add Tom? no just stay tuned to all of those social channels and things because then we'll let you know once we have a firmer date for launch of series c um and if you haven't listened to if you're if you're joining us now in series b there's like 24 episodes mm. of this podcast and the fatishes plus versions if yes. you haven't listened to those get on yeah. to the patreon you can access those and it's it's almost like a, yes basically an extended version mm. so there's loads of all the all the bits that we can't quite fit into the quite tight nice format name. that we've got yeah so there are extra facts and sort of knowledge sharing and there's also kind of wild tangents and things like that as well yeah so, um, well worth checking out absolutely so Thank you very much for listening, not just to this episode, but the entire series. And thank you very much for joining me, Tom. See you in Series C.